Welcome all of you fellow arcanists out there to the Frith Guild podcast where we explore an amazing world full of mystical creatures and their partners. Our host is Eric Smith, and he'll be your guide along this journey through pirate-infested waters. So grab your Eldrin, wrap on your swords, and get ready to defend the seas from evil. Throughout this series, if you have not caught up to the chapters being discussed today, we urge you to hit the pause button, grab your copy of this wonderful book, and catch up. We'll be here when you get back. This week, we'll be exploring chapters 6 through 10 of Dread Pirate Arcanist, in which Volk finally gets to attend the Griffin bonding ceremony, which includes a couple pleasant surprises, followed by his most embarrassing moment. In a hot spring, tongue-tied and naked, with Addy. At least he knows what to do when a pirate assassin tries to kill Luthier. But before we get into the book, let's look at two more pieces of advice from the series. The 24th step on the Pillar of Ruma says dignity. Without it, we treat ourselves as buffoons. And the 82nd step says strategy. Without it, only the brute will rule. Now, let's join Eric and get into chapters 6 through 10 of Dren Pirate Arcanist. Welcome back to the Frith Guild Podcast. My name is Eric, and today we're going to be going over Dread Pirate Arcanist, book two in the Frith Chronicles series, and we're going to be going over chapters six through ten today. We're going to start with our chapter five recap, where Rylan is gone, but Volk had no choice but to strike him down with his sword before the arcane play could spread to the others. Volk had to move quickly to save the two boys and the Griffin Cub from the claws of death. Zaxxus helped by healing them and bringing them back from the light just in time. And I also want to mention that if you could, uh, please leave a review on the podcast. I know it doesn't seem like much. I know it's a little bit of a hassle to, to click that five-star button there. And, and I'm not trying to tell you to give me five stars. I appreciate it if you think so. But um, truly, truly give me a review. Just let me know what I'm doing, how I'm doing uh, before you get into the podcast today. And thank you so much. First and foremost, I also want to say Volk and Zaxxus did an amazing job protecting these children and the Griffin Cub from Rylan. Going above and beyond the Call of Duty. Granted, they were asked to find the Cub. They were asked to find the children to get them back unharmed. And they honestly did the best possible job they could have. Granted, most of this is on Volk because Volk is the one that does most of the work. This, as disappointing as everything was for what happened with Rylan... At least Volk saved the two boys and the, the Griffin Cub, Bedivir. We can completely understand that Volk is upset about this. I would be upset about this. I don't know anybody that wouldn't be upset about this. No matter how justifiable it was for Volk to have to do this, I still don't think that it would make a difference as far as the, the decision whether or not he had to or not. Still doesn't really do much for taking that pain away. And we can look at this like, Master Zelfry and, and Master Ruma in the, the end of Nightmare Arcanist, that Zelfry has to do the same thing. He has to make that decision. And as as clear-cut and dry as that decision was, it really doesn't matter because he still feels bad. Unfortunately, Volk still has to not only have to live with this, but he's going to have to tell Katana. And I, I think that it's amazing that Katana figured this out before Volk explicitly had to say the words to her because I feel like having to relive that memory one more time, uh, at least right after it happened, like I did, puts that final nail in the coffin of actually what happened and, and no pun intended with Volk or anything like that, but 
So I feel like having to vocalize that one more time is, is probably good that he didn't have to. And we, we actually find that Zaxxus is fairly sympathetic and, and supportive of Volk and what he's got to do and what he's got to say, go through all that. Zaxxus does a good job at alliterating to Katana that he may need a few minutes to, to find the words. Now that Volk has actually gotten to relay the message he's intending to, we, we actually find that uh, Katana is at a little bit of an ease of mind. Not necessarily that that Raylan had to pass, but because he handled himself such an epitome definition way of being a griffin and being noble and with a sense of justice. This is how he would have wanted to go, essentially, because of the way that everything happened. Now, I think that Volk should have acted a little bit quicker to reduce the amount of chances of it being spread. But again, this is <laughs> Volk is 15, maybe 16. That's a lot to put on a kid that young, whether or not that this is something that's normal being an arcanist or growing up in this, you know, this era, this time still, it's something huge I have to deal with. So we find out that Rylan was shot by a pirate from the third abyss and that the third abyss is a ship based off of the, abyssal hells and it's the third level of the abyssal hells it's third out of five and the third abyss is where the death lords of lost souls rule and this is our first true introduction to what the abyssal hells are and really we just get this little blurb about the third abyss any pirate that would want to name his ship after the third abyss well he must be a heck of a pirate because it's a, it's a pretty big, bold statement that he made. One thing that almost bothered me was that Zelfry actually showed quite a lot of sympathy or empathy towards Volk. He showed emotion, legitimate emotion. Volk, again, this is one of those situations where Volk doesn't have to say what happened because Zelfry saw what happened. Volk actually gets confused. How did you know? And Zelfry's like, well, you are the only one that uses a sword. So obvious who it was. And again, this is one of those, those moments where I know Zelfry's not trying to be, be sarcastic or anything, but I, I like his bluntness of the way he talks and <laughs> doesn't try to sugarcoat. doesn't try to be like, oh, well, this is how I deduced. No, he's like, you're the only one that uses a sword. I know that. Volk is not in the mood to take up on his reward for finding the cub and saving the boys. You could argue that saving the boys, they get a reward for that as well, mainly just a warm and fuzzy in them. And that's great for them. So the real reward was to have time to spend with the Griffin Cubs before the trial of war ceremony. Volk is just in a spot where he doesn't want to be around anybody. He doesn't want to be dealing with anything. So he allows Ilya to take his place as far as the Griffin Cubs go. Zelfry understands what he's going through. So he's good about it. He tells Volk, hey, just go back to the ship. Chill out. When you're going to be here for the ceremony, but just go ahead and go back to the ship for a little bit until before the ceremony gets here. While you're there, I don't want you to just be lounging around. I want you to be practicing. This is probably one of the best lines from Zelfry that I can remember. And he tells Volk to not just to, you know, don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. Because honestly, this is one of those sayings that you could take it with you and apply it to just about anything in life. I love this this quote, and I've been so excited about getting this to this quote. And Zelfry's absolutely right. You don't want to practice to the, to the point where you can get it right. I can consistently get it right. 
it needs to be second nature, especially with fighting, with using his magic the way he is, the kind of guilt that he's in. He needs to be proficient with his magic and with his fighting because he has to be able to defend himself and to save others. All right. So we get a little bit of a quick jump to being back on the ship. And Luther is actually, let's say, drooling over Volk, but he's he's fairly impressed with Volk that he's been able to, I don't want to say meet or match Mathis as far as the standards of being a knight, that kind of thing. But to the fact that Volk is, is very similar with his being honorable, his decision-making thought processes as far as that goes. And this is kind of showing that Luther did an extremely good job picking a second Arcanist to bond with. And I think, honestly, if Luther would have picked anybody else, this would not have worked out at all. And we, so we're told that they are on a galleon. Me being curious, and look, looked up what a galleon is. And the galleon is a fast-sailing ship that has three or more masts in the front and a lateen sail in the back. And a lateen sail is a large triangular sail that usually runs like the mast cone straight up and the sail itself sits at an angle to the mast. And these were mostly used by Spanish and they used them for commerce and for war from the 1400s to about 1700s. And this is one of those ships that they find quite a lot of shipwrecks with. And these shipwrecks care containing a lot of these gold, silver and gems to find one as a shipwreck would be amazing because there's quite a lot of money there. So Adelgis and Hexa come to go get Volk. And this is one of those very rare occasions that Hexa is just uncharacteristically sentimental with Raisin. She wants to have Raisin with her as much as possible while she is journeying until he gets too big. Because he's still small enough where he, she, you know, she can carry him around he's still you know maneuverable enough where he can walk on his own in a fairly decent pace not saying he's the fastest thing in the world but he can still maneuver pretty well uh, it's said that once he gets bigger he pretty much will be not necessarily immobile but he's gonna be a very slow moving creature just i would guess i would compare it to like an elephant versus alligator a dog or something like that you know it, it's gonna go for very you know, fairly quick and able to keep up to barely be able to move uh, it and the way that this described shaming describes it i still again my head canon with the way that so carries raisin is is like misty carries togepi in the pokemon series and i'm not talking about like, togepi in the backpack i'm talking about misty carrying togepi up front in front of her and again that's how i picture hexa being carrying raisin so we see that adelgis is starting to trust volk more and more and there's a couple of reasons for this. And the biggest one is everybody thinks that Volk is a, a very honorable person. And I, I want to explicitly emphasize thinks. Because Adelgis is learning how to use his abilities as a ethereal Volk arcanist. And using his uh, ability to read other people's minds and be able to hear what they're saying or thinking. So... Adelgis, one, is he's thinking that uh, he's learning that from others and that others are thinking he's an honorable person. But Volk's character is just untarnishable, honestly. It's not surprising that, that Adelgis is wanting to start to trust Volk. And Adelgis 
comes up to Volk before they get to the, the actual ceremony itself. And he's very shy and he's like, hey, look, I don't want to go to the Sapphire Springs. And Volk's like, what do you, why wouldn't you want to go? It's going to have luck. I need luck. Don't you need luck? Everybody needs luck. So Adelagis was saying that he didn't want to necessarily feel like he's not being a part of the camaraderie, but doesn't feel comfortable with the quote unquote island uh, <laughs> traditions. He asked Volk to basically, you know, vouch that Adele just is feeling sick and that he's not going to attend the Sapphire Springs after the ceremony. Volk just, okay, you know what, fine, whatever. Don't worry about it. The fact that Volk is willing to do this with Adele just and not really need a specific reason. Volk is very, very trusting with people. And I don't want to say that in a bad way. Volk seems like he has a really good clue on the the strength of character, the, the be a good judge of character when it comes to those kinds of things. So here we are at the end of the ceremony. Volk missed pretty much everything except for the very end. And Bedivere is the only griffin cub that has not been bonded or had picked somebody to bond with. And Bedivere has a very good reason for that. We aren't told how old exactly these, these griffin cubs are. We know that the phoenix hatchlings are fairly young within a year or two. So, again, we're not sure how young these griffin cubs are. And because, again, you can't really base their age off of their size. And you could just because creatures don't grow until they become bonded. So they could be several hundred years old and still look like a baby. But Bedivere does make a very mature decision at this point. And he basically says, I, although everybody here handled themselves very bravely, the person that I want to bond with is going to be the person that basically helped look, come to look for me in the caves. And this is when he chooses Grant as Bedivere's Arcanist. And there, there's that understanding that Grant is younger than normal. There's no way that Grant can out, you know, outgrow his bravery. So Grant is becoming an Arcanist and Katona since Dylan passed decides to bond with Grant's brother Leo and is going to be a second bonded to Katona. And Katona basically says that she's going to be leaving the island because there's she doesn't have a mate anymore. And this is going to be the last trial of war ceremony until there's another she can find a mate and they can begin to produce more griffin cubs. So after they all choose to bond, they recite the Oath of the Griffin Arcanus. And I'm going to recite that here. It says, I will keep my word and my honor, for they are the currency of kings. I will protect the oceans and the sky, as griffins have given me their wings. I'll never turn to cruelty or surrender to the might. I'll be a shepherd of humanity and show the world my might. I love that they have that included as their, their last part to the the ceremony as a way of solidifying, hey, this is what a griffin arcanist should strive to do or to be. The, the Isle of Ruma has the pillars and, and all the steps for the pillars, and the Isle of Landon has the griffin arcanist oath. All right, so moving into chapter eight. Now that the ceremony is over, it is time to go bathe in the Sapphire Springs and get some dang luck because Volk needs it because... Dang it, his only sibling is Misfortune. <laughs> On the way up to the springs, and when he gets there, Volk 
finally realizes that the the springs are actually um, new to springs, and he steals himself to to actually go through with it to go into the the springs because he knows he needs. Good for you, Volk, for persevering and making sure you get yourself some luck. Well, in true fashion, because he still has yet to go into the springs, he he does pick a a spring that looks empty, and he gets in, and of course, who's sitting behind a waterfall? Master Zelfry. Who's the last group of people that Master Zelfry wants to see? His apprentices. I do want to point, I'm going to point something out, is that Volk notices that Zelfry has a, a dragon tattoo on his shoulder. And I point this out specifically because this is going to be kind of link, nudge. This is something that is going to be seen further down and not necessarily this book or the next book, maybe in the fourth book or the fifth book, if I can remember properly. Zelfry is is trying to lighten the mood and break some tension there. And Hulk, Hulk comes out with a, just a very obvious response. And Zelfry just claps back with sarcasm. And I love a character with sarcasm. So I love his sarcasm because most of the time, the six apprentices are just super nervous and super tense. And Zelfry always claps back with the, at them with sarcasm to not necessarily just to break the, break the tension, but get them to loosen up a little bit because you, know, you can only be so stiff. You, know, you can only train a board so well. We do learn something specific about Zelfry, and that, and that is he still holds himself for the, his apprentices previously, and he, he feels guilty. And the biggest reason is because he actually admits that he got involved with one of them. And that anybody that's been in a mentor-mentee relationship knows that that, that is like the absolute biggest no-no that you could possibly do is to have a relationship with a mentee. This is something that I think Zelfry has been constantly looking for answers at the bottom of the bottle. And actually, even Traces is relieved that Volk was the one that was told about Zelfry's secret about having you know, a relationship with one of his apprentices. Now, Traces also is very much like, hey, we're going to do the right thing here and not mention this to anybody like this this is not your secret to tell and the fact that he told you is just mind blowing and is going to be so good for him. She does that in such a perfect timing and Zaxis comes in and starts throwing out insults about Volk being up there and basically calling everybody an idiot that's in the pool and Zelfry kind of just like you said what? And Zaxis puts his foot in his mouth and at that point Zelfry's like, "You know what? Pieces guys, I'm out." Volk was our, like one thing, and now they got two apprentices in here. Screw this. Bye. And it's a good thing that he did because Zaxxus was in there for a couple minutes. And then, of course, Addy shows up and gets in the spring with Volk and, and Zaxxus. I love that way that this was written because Volk is every bit of that super cringe, awkward teenager that has no idea what to do with relationships and has never been in one and never been talked about having one or how it should work. Volk wanted to be the you know, a proper, a, a good person about it. He's diverting his eyes and everything. And he basically gets to a point of just so, so cringe and just embarrassed that he decides to just take off. And he takes off in a rush and he probably wasn't the smartest move, but what it is. As he's going back to the ship, he 
ends up and he's noticing that his ability to see in the night with absolutely no issue and and basically is it's described as mid-afternoon this is getting noticeably noticeably faster at adjusting and he's not having to be merged with luther in order to see in the dark but again he's able to after night falls he's able to see in the dark faster and faster he ends up noticing hexa and Ilya having a picnic in the woods and they just i love that they're just like yeah we're just gonna sit here and have a picnic rather than go up to the springs and poor Adelgis, he's just like, oh, I'm going to go back to the ship because I'm going to feel sick and I don't want to ruin any camaraderie and making somebody feel think that I'm intentionally not wanting to go there. And here, Hexa and Ilya are just having a picnic. They're just by themselves doing their own thing, which I like about their characters. They aren't afraid to do their own thing. They aren't afraid to be a part away from the norm. And again, it's just that like, oh, we're just having a picnic in the middle of the woods in the, after dark. No big deal. So Hexa kind of catches on to Ilya. I don't, I don't know if they've had this planned or just happened to be how it worked out. But as soon as Volk walks up and Ilya and Hexa start kind of like, oh, hey, I noticed you. Hexa's like, hey, bye. I'll see you guys later. Good luck. Cheers. So as soon as Hexa leaves, Ilya is like, oh, you are going to tell me what happened with Rylan and how you were involved in this. Volk begins to explain... I say the full story of it, but it gave her the well. Ryland was shot with a, a arcane plague blood laced bullet. We know that this was from the third abyss, and this is where Ilya instantly puts her hand over her eye that's missing. We find out that this is the ship that took her parents and that took her eye. So, what what's the most logical thing that Ilya does? knowing that there's this pirate ship somewhere in the area, especially shooting other mystical creatures to get them infected with the arcane plague. Well, he's like, I need space. And Volks is probably like, what, what is space? What does that mean? I, and so, so she just takes off. And Volks de- sitting there debating this. Do I go after her? Do I go back to the ship? Do I like, what do I do? Luther, I imagine just like slaps Volk across the face and like, dude, what is wrong with you? A knight never abandons his post. What would happen? How would you feel if Ilya died because you didn't go look for her and was killed by a pirate? How would you feel? So how about we go look for her? So just just straight going for this jugular with Volk. Kudos to Luther for making sure he wants to keep Ilya safe and keep Volk in line, but it's pretty savage of him. Now, I do want to say, though, what irony does Volk have that he's worried about Ilya running into a pirate arcanist and yet he runs into a pirate arcanist and the arcanist is just kind of hanging out in the woods and was surprised to run into Volk and expecting everybody else to be at the Sapphire Springs and we find out that he was supposed to be getting something while while he was out and he notices that Volk has a nightmare and he's like wait a minute is your nightmare his name Luther and Volk's like, how do you know that? And of course, the, the pirate Arcadius reveals his name is Fane. Fane is basically like, look, I'm only here for your nightmare. I don't give a crap about you. And as long as you stay out of it, I'm going to kill your nightmare and we'll be all good. And I'll go off on my merry little way. This is where I'm going to bring in strategy here. Because strategy, again, with the, step, the steps from the pillar, step 82. Without it, only the brute will rule. Unfortunately, Volk doesn't have a strategy. 
And and then this is surprised on him. It's not like he anticipated this and didn't just plan out how to keep himself safe or keep Luther safe. They start to try to fight off Fane and Volk ends up getting pinned down by his Wendigo Eldrin, which is named Wraith. It's basically the, the Wendigo is basically pinning Volk down, not allowing him to be able to attack. And Luther is basically fighting for the both of them and is trying to fight off this Arcanist. And the Arcanist knows what he's doing for the most part. He's using his ice abilities to, to be able to make it so Luther can't get a solid footing and can't keep up his footwork. Wraith is doing his job just perfectly. He's basically there to make sure Volk stays on the ground and out of the fight. Sleep. I would just need to see Wraith and I'd be perfectly good with staying out of the fight, I think, because Wraith is described as an emaciated wolf with a skull for a face and antlers. This is a fairly intimidating looking creature. Again, wolf with a skull for a face with antlers. Because because the skull, the wolf isn't bad enough. The skull for the face for a wolf isn't bad enough. Need to add in the antlers too, just because why not? <laughs> Again, Fane was very adamant about killing Luther. While Luther's fighting Fane, Volk's trying to figure out how to be, or how to at least... Get away with get away from Wraith. Volk uses his ability to manipulate shadows and gets them into creates them into daggers and is able to actually hit Wraith with them. And this is what causes Wraith to lose his grip, kind of changing the tide of the, the the struggle a little bit more. Volk's able to get away. He is very, very tired now. And He's just been through this whole huge ordeal with Rylan. He just went to the springs. He's looking for Ilya. Like, the dude's had a rough freaking day. Thankfully, Fane and Wraith decide to cut their losses and leave. At the beginning of the fight, Fane decides to take his coat off so he can fight easier. Thankfully, Fane and Wraith were such in such a hurry that Fane decided to leave, or not necessarily decided, but had left his coat. And it actually had the item that he was after within the coat. So, thankfully, Fane so adamant about taking out Luther that he decided to take his coat off and leave whatever it was he was intending to steal in his coat on the ground. Now, Luther does something that I didn't even know was possible, and I really absolutely love it, and I have so many questions now. But <laughs> Luther takes off his cape. His cape! The thing flowing magically behind him with wind that doesn't exist. I didn't realize Luther could do this. And, and I know that this cape is a fairly important item to Luther. Not necessarily just as a, a memento, but fairly important to his magic. And again, I didn't realize he could just take it off. Here you go. So <laughs> Luther takes it off so that he can pin Volk's arms to his, arms to his chest and... That way, Volk can be in a little bit less pain, keep his arm immobilized until he heals. Volk is still wandering around looking for Ilya to make sure she's safe, instead of getting back onto the ship and getting medical attention. So in Chapter 10, we find out that Volk won't stop bleeding. No matter how many times Zaxxus tries to heal him, no matter how long Volk gives his own magic the time to heal himself, uh, this saliva from Wraith, the Wendigo, apparently has some kind of special poison in it that keeps him from healing properly. Because why not? Again, lucky Volk. Now that they're on the ship on their way back to Fortuna, Ilya comes to tell Volk 
what really happened as far as how she lost her family, how she lost her eye and everything and how she escaped. Cause obviously she told nickel in that for her trial of worth. However, that was the, the, the quick sweet and condensed version of it. This is the, Hey, the pirate that was, was taking you know, boarding my parents' ship. His name was Callisto. We find out that he's a dread pirate, which means that he is taken out or sunk in more than five ships. And realistically, his number for ships to be taken out actually is around 20. And then we, we do find out something special about Callisto. And this is something that I still don't, it still doesn't click with me as to why, but he, he's actually fairly decent when it comes to, he's being a pirate. He's being decent here. It's an oxymoron, but. Callisto, he doesn't necessarily kill or sink every ship that he meets. When he gets to a ship, he basically gives them an option. Either surrender and give us all your stuff, or we're going to destroy your ship and kill you. So it's your choice. Do you want us to surrender your ship and we'll let you be? Or do you want us to kill you? So, again, a little bit of oxymoron here. You know, pirate being good, but it's not necessarily the worst. I guess the, the worst thing it could be. Could be him just saying, screw it, I'm going to kill you anyway. On this journey back, Volk is not feeling well. He's being pretty sick. He's got a fever. He's running hot. Turns out Volk's actually just hot because Forsyth and Titiana is sitting on his cot in the ship. So he's super hot. And then all the other mystical creatures are surrounding him, except for Luther, of course, or Felicity, the ethereal whelk for Adelgis. He goes back to sleep. And he starts having these really weird dreams. He's back on Ruma, and he's at a dance, and Zaxxus is fighting with him. And he finally wakes up, and he pulls Felicity off of his head. And I just just want you to fully grasp this. Imagine, essentially, an octopus stuck to your head while you were asleep. And you wake up, and said octopus is still on your head. And you have to pull it off. You didn't know that octopuses could stick to your head. You didn't know that there was a reason to be worried about an octopus being stuck to your head. But it is. So again, Volk handles this very well in comparison to having a essentially an octopus stuck to his head. So Adele just explains to Volk that this is all part of Adele just's ability to train. Which is essentially just to be able to uh, use his, his magic abilities. Which is dream weaving. And he's trying to give Volk pleasant dreams. And I gotta say, Adele just doesn't get a lot of character. He's not huge in the first few books. Adele just is that quiet kid that's just just slightly awkward. Not in a bad way, not in a good way. Just, just you, don't, you don't, don't know him yet. And this is something that Volk was kind of, you know, he's... Not weirded out by him by any means, especially because he, he just did Adele just a solid one with the whole not going to Sapphire Springs and getting naked in front of everybody, not be wanting to be part of the camaraderie. So Adele just is, I'm going to practice my, my magic on you while you're sleeping. And this is something that Zelfry finds out about and is actually rather happy that Volk is letting Adele just use his prayer, use Volk as a guinea pig or practice for Adelgis's abilities. We we do also get some backstory, some background on Adelgis, and and this is important because it shows you as to why I say why he's the way he is. But again, it adds to his character. 
we, we find out that Adelgis is the middle child of the family, but the, the youngest son. He's often forgotten about by his dad. And his dad does remember him. Most of the time, it's because his dad left Adelgis in the lab and locked him in there. Just completely straight forgot him. I don't know how many people have kids and they've taken their kids or they've forgotten to pick up their kids from some event, whether it's school or soccer practice or whatever. But like, I feel like this is Adelgis. He's just a quiet guy. You forget he's there. He isn't there because he doesn't talk or he's because he's trying to make his dad happy. He's trying to be a good researcher and rather than talk, he listens. So he doesn't get a lot of attention from his mom because he's, He's got a younger sister that is essentially eternally sick and she needs the attention because of her sickness. So the fact that Adele just doesn't really get a lot of attention from his family. I, I feel like this is one of those things where it helps that helps to grow Volk and Adele just's relationship as friends and, and helps Adele just get out of that awkward, quiet, weird guy. Again, this is where Volk shines as a character. Yeah, he shows his good character in that. Doesn't mind it. He's willing to sacrifice his dreams to to let Adele just have a chance to practice his magic. All right, and that is where chapter 10 ends off. We are on our way back to Fortuna to see the Apothecary. So we're going to delve into the next section, which is our bestiary. And we're going to go into the Wendigo. Since this is the new mystical creature that we've seen to this in this set of chapters. Doing a little bit of research on the Wendigo, I did find that it could have came from the Native American mythology, the Algonquins. And I guess this is more of a shamey soul. Everyone wants to give me the thumbs down if I'm ever hitting the nail on the head with some of these mystical creatures and their origins and mythology or where she found them possibly. It's up, you know, shamey. You want to let me know if I'm getting these right or not. Just let me know if you, you, know, you wouldn't mind. So with the Wendigo, the trial of worth is essentially to nearly freeze to death. The Wendigos are intended, they're, they're lone wolves kind of thing. They prey on travelers that get lost and are freezing. It goes into, makes their their magic completely understandable. Is, is, uh, they're able to evoke ice. They're able to manipulate flesh. Again, later on in the series, they go over it more in depth, but basically he's able to touch your skin and pull off your flesh. Not not huge bits of it, but still able to. Their augmentation is visibility. So this is another one of those really reasons why it was a really good idea to have Fane go and, and steal these this book or whatever it was that he was trying to steal for the third abyss because Fane is able to become invisible and why not? <laughs> if I had invisibility cloak or able to turn invisible, I'd probably be the one that's doing all the sneaking around. So some of the passive abilities that Wendigo Arcanus have are that they are able to walk on ice without losing traction. And because Wendigos are from the, the cold, they don't typically feel cold. And then they are also considered a man-eater. And what that means is they don't feed on animals. They feed essentially on human flesh. So again... Makes sense as far as the, uh, the manipulation goes, as, as far as they're able to move people's flesh off their body. Because when they go, they, they eat flesh. And we find out that basically any kind of physical creature that is 
considered a man-eater like the Wendigo, is essentially born to bloodborne diseases. That, that again, that is their passive ability. So, all right. I want to thank you all for listening today. You can find my podcast at Podbean, Google Podcasts, iTunes. You can find it on Facebook whenever ever my podcast launches. It's always up on there on Facebook. It's, I am on YouTube, so I will be posting every week along with the podcast that I'm posting. It's going to basically come up on my YouTube channel the exact same time as anything else or my podcast, anywhere you can find my podcast on. So there will be no delays on when that is available to watch if you so choose. If you prefer looking at my bright and smiling face, while you listen to me talk, then by all means, I feel like I'm talking to actually talk to you personally. And I do want to also give a very huge thank you to the Frith Chronicles fandom. Because of them, I am able to not have to constantly go back and forth trying to find information or keep everything written down, go ahead to find information. So uh, I do want to thank the Frith Chronicles fandom as well. And then... And in order to get in touch with me, if you want to message me on Facebook, if you want to send me an email, my email is frithguildpod at gmail.com. More than welcome to reach out to me there. And again, for Facebook, I'm on pretty much any social media platform you can think of. So if you want to reach out to me, I highly encourage it. Please let me know how I'm doing. Welcome back, everybody, to the Frith Guild podcast. We want to introduce and welcome our new co-host, Scott. Hey everyone, how's it going? Excited to be here. Big, Excited big fan. And so we're going to get started. We're going to ask you to just give us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So I am from Michigan for all those fellow Michiganders out there. And I'm a big fantasy fan, love magic and mythical creatures. And, you know, the Frith Chronicles was a big draw from that. So I've been a huge fan of them for a long time now. Do you remember what got you into the Frith Chronicles? I I got the the recommendation from from book reads for you know it was a book and it was supposed to have some exciting mythical characters and I loved the the image of the nightmare kind of coming through and I was excited to find out what it was because I googled nightmare and could not find one so I think that that mystery you know drove me to dive a little deeper into the series and then you know just became enthralled with the characters and and the whole worldscape. Awesome. So is fantasy your, your like your usual book series that you read into or do you kind of delve into other places, other other genres? I'll delve a little into other genres. I dabble in sci-fi, but fantasy is kind of the the main genre I stick to. I've read a bit in the urban fantasy and then, you know, across a bunch of other fantasy genres as well. Awesome. Any other like, books you've been reading recently or, re- or recently in the past? Yeah, the the big series and and whenever a new one comes out is uh, the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. So it's a great urban fantasy genre, and, and then there's 20 books in the in the series at this point, I believe. So oh a lot gosh. of content to to dive into. Yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been going on for a while, and and Jim Butcher does a great job with the character development and some of the personalities in it. Any other ones that you'd recommend? as well along with the first chronicles pretty much anything by by shammy stovall is <laughs> is a big fan of mine i'm i'm making my way through nexus games and and that one's great as well that's a lit rpg that she has out as well and then of course with the fifth chronicles is also you know academy Ar- arcanist and the crown tournament as well so a lot of lot of mythical creatures to dive into oh, yeah. um, 
And then, of course, always, you know, Christopher Paolini and, and the Aragon series are, are great as well. And I know there's Thorn has come out recently as well. And that was was excellent. Awesome. I actually just started listening to the, the Nexus games as well uh, on my way to and from work. I figured I might as well do something with my time. And so I've been listening to that. Yeah, that'll, that'll definitely take up the time. So I'm I'm lucky I've got the commute from the bedroom to the, the home office. So I have to find other time to, to sneak my audiobooks and my reading in.